Chapter Seven of Martin Luther by Carl E. Koppenhauer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Drastic Changes. Wartburg to Wittenberg. Fortunately for Luther, there was more than noisy adulation among the people. A few sober minds knew how relentless the papal wolves would be in tracking him down after the safe conduct expired and so a kidnapping and removal to a safe place was planned. Luther made a detour along the road to Wittenberg in order to visit relatives at Murrah. For months the outside world knew only that he had been captured near there in the Thuringian forest by a band of knights. Many lamented him as dead, but gradually the flow of thorny letters to his adversaries and the new treatises rolling from the press allayed their fears. By a circuitous route, Luther had been conveyed to the Wartburg, an ancient fortress castle near Eisenach. He arrived on May 4th, and with the exception of short trips into the forest and to nearby villages, did not leave for seven months. To outward appearances, he was Junker George, a carefree bearded knight with sword, swinging impressively at his side. The secret was well kept, and at the outset even the elector, who authorized the masquerade, did not know Luther's whereabouts. Luther chafed at his forced inactivity, and ever the monk fell to contemplation and examination of himself. Could past generations and earlier scholars have been so completely out of step with the gospel? Could a mere friar be right against them all? Might he not be in error and drag many others to eternal damnation? Hard work helped take his mind off his problems. During his stay in the Wartburg, in addition to correspondence and pamphlets, he authored a work on confession expositions on several psalms, a commentary on the Magnificat, had a volume of sermons on the epistles and gospels well under way, and had translated the entire New Testament into German. Prayer and study restored his conviction. To doubt, or even to remain silent, was like going against conscience, neither right nor safe. With conviction came a sense of divine commission. When events called him back into the world again, he went courageously and with determination. He was a revolutionary, but a conservative one. That quality is what took him back to Wittenberg. From Freedom to License So often a new movement suffers from over-enthusiasm. The Reformation was no exception in this respect. Zealots took the usual shortcut from bondage to freedom by way of turmoil instead of restrained, orderly procedure. In parts of Germany the old ways were thrown off hastily. Organs, paintings, and statues were thrown from the churches. Vestments were discarded. Bread and wine were both administered to the laity. Priests married nuns took husbands, monastic vows were renounced, various forms of the mass were discontinued, priests and worshippers who persisted in the traditional forms 
were attacked. Rumors of violent acts reached the Wartburg. Luther, still in the guise of Junker George, made a hurried trip to Wittenberg early in December 1521. Matters there had not yet reached the unrestrained stage which they later assumed. Nevertheless, he cautioned the people in a warning against riot and rebellion, written on his return to the Wartburg. In it he reasoned that reform is not so much a matter of externals as of faith. Breaking up the furniture in a church does not change the heart of a man. Vandalism is by no means a sign of repentance and trust in God. In fact, it approaches the old form of seeking favor through works. Giving wine as well as bread in the Lord's Supper is not as important as the spiritual attitude of the communicant. Finally, the tumult in Wittenberg reached the point where he had to step in. So, in the face of the imperial ban, he returned on March 6, 1522. Insisting that no drastic change should be made until, through re-education, those affected requested it as a matter of faith, he restored order in the university city in a remarkably short time. The peasants, meanwhile, took the shortcut to freedom, too, in a series of bloody uprisings. Chafing under their bondage to the nobles, they adapted Luther's free lord of all statement to their own demands for social reform. Luther preached the Christian duty of submission to lawful authority, but the peasants ravaged and plundered until finally defeated in 1525. It was a dark hour in the Reformation. Pigtails on the Pillow Wittenberg, June 14th Catherine von Bora, 26, late of the Cistercian nunnery at Nimschen, and Martin Luther, 42, professor of Bible at the local university, were married last night at a simple ceremony in the Black Cloister. Dr. John Bugenhagen officiated. In attendance were artist Lucas Cronach and Mrs. Cronach, Dr. Eustace Jonas Pryor of Castle Church, and John Appel, professor of law at the university. If there had been newspapers in 1525, Luther's wedding might have been announced to the public in this way. However, newspapers weren't to appear until much later, and the lack of publicity gave gossips and slanderers choice opportunity to vilify the former monk and nun. The malicious stories were partly offset by a public ceremony, complete with a special service in the town church, a wedding dinner in the cloister, and a dance at the town hall on June 27th. The wedding was a direct result of Luther's reform teachings. He disliked the monastic system because men and women sought merit before God through restraints and vows rather than depending upon grace. Celibacy, he had written earlier, is not founded on Scripture, but marriage is. These teachings found their way into many cloisters and convents, among them the one at Nimschen, where Cotterin von Bora, at age of sixteen, had been received into the Cistercian order. Chapter 
She and eleven other nuns sought Luther's assistance in effecting a plan of escape. Although he had no idea of what it would involve for him personally, he arranged for them to be smuggled out of the convent in empty fish barrels on the day before Easter in 1523. The plan succeeded, and some of the nuns came to Wittenberg where they found homes, husbands, or new positions. Two years later, Katia was the only one not permanently cared for, despite Luther's several attempts at matchmaking. Then the spunky miss hinted rather boldly that the reformer himself would be an acceptable husband, and he resolved to take the course which he had urged on so many others. It was strange for one accustomed to solitude. Formerly at the table I was alone, he wrote. Now I am with someone, when I awaken to see a pair of pigtails on the pillow which were not there before. The Cloister Becomes a Home Marriage probably extended Luther's life for a number of years. Previously he and his dog enjoyed an irregular sort of existence in the black cloister. Dishes were covered with dust, the bed hadn't been made in over a year, his clothes were in disorder. Sometimes Luther forgot his meals altogether, and at other times he stuffed himself. The vigor with which his industrious wife established order can be imagined by his reference to her as My Lord Katya. She was an efficient housekeeper and thrifty manager of what little they possessed at the outset. Neither had any money. Luther refused pay for his writing, although the publishers grew rich. Nor did he receive any tax revenues from the cloister, since he had laid aside his cowl. Things improved when the elector gave Luther the cloister for a home, and adjacent to it a vegetable garden with a small brew-house, where Katia prepared the family beverage. His small salary as professor was augmented somewhat when they took in boarding students attending the university. The Luthers had six children. Two of them died in childhood, but otherwise the family enjoyed a merry, wholesome life. The house was always full of visitors, some of them more or less permanent, including traveling dignitaries, numerous aunts and relatives, monks and nuns seeking a permanent residence, and four orphaned children from among their kinsfolk. Because it was large and suitable, the cloister sometimes was used as a hospital, and it was not unusual for the family to number as many as twenty-five. Guests who stayed for any length of time were expected to take part in household duties, participate in daily prayers, catechetical study, and family devotions. Through Katia's economy, improvements were made in the Luther house. An orchard, hop garden, and finally a farm were purchased. When Luther worried about his children's future, he overcame it with faith. A pious training is most important, he wrote. It is good to leave an inheritance, but preparing children to manage wisely is more important. We parents are fools if we don't train them to fear God, to control themselves, and to live honorably. 
End of chapter 7